Good morning, church. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. I'm going to be talking about the story of Gideon this morning. And I want to share with you that um, having been a Christian for 35 years or so, um, heard this message spoken lots of times, and always had, you know, kind of a cursory understanding of it. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I, this was laid on my heart. Um, this was not a story I would have picked um, normally. Uh, to have the opportunity to speak is, is, is an honor. And, I, you know, I would have picked something like the Fruit of the Spirit or John chapter 1 or one of my favorite passages, but I felt like the Lord brought me to this. And the more I studied it, the more and more I, I, I asked myself, how am I going to preach all this in one message? Because I saw so much more depth and so many more layers to this story. Remember the movie Titanic? At the beginning of the movie, when when Rose was she was old already, and she's on the scientific ship, and they're they're showing her this neat video about what they know about the Titanic, and at such and such time, the Titanic hit the iceberg, and it da, 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 dotted across the hull and the, the or the bow, and it started to fill up with water, and the front end started to sink, and then the back end snapped off, and then it sank down to the bottom, and she's like, well, "Thanks for your concise forensic uh, analysis. Um, my experience was much different." And my experience um, in reaching, reading this story was much different this time. I am nothing against any, any preachers I've heard before. Um, ha- it's just having gone through the journey I've gone through over the last 35 years, especially over the last 5 to 10 years, walking through my own journey of healing and, and recovery and restoration, I, I read a story about a guy that I, I kind of missed before. I always thought the story of Gideon was a, you know, a wimp versus army story or a, a military story. Let's cleanse, a cleansing the camp kind of story. And as I read this story this time, I saw it in a whole new light. I saw a story a, about a guy. Let, let, me, let, let me give you the, the quick forensic analysis. So the, the Israelites, were, again, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as it says in chapter 6, verse 1. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They were on lockdown. Can you relate? I think we can relate to that a little bit. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing. Jump down to verse 7. When the Israelites crowd, cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So the concise forensic story was always, once again, the Israelites were messing up. So God pulls back his favor. He's going to let them be disciplined by suffering under the hands of the Midianites and the Amorites and everyone else that's harassing them. And God picks this little wimpy guy named Gideon, who nobody knows, the most unlikely guy, and he raises him up to lead this army, which starts out massive, and then he cuts it down, then he cuts it down again, and God somehow uses this wimpy little guy named Gideon to fight this battle and, and, and liberate the Israelites once and for all. Yay, God. That's kind of always been sort of my understanding of, uh, of the story of Gideon. And again, as I read it this time, I just saw so much more depth to this story 
and I, I'm, I'm not even going to take us all the way through the whole story. Um, th- this is a series. The story of, of Gideon is a series. It's, it's epic. And, and it, we could write a book on it, um, a, a large book, on what, everything we could expound from this story. But I, I want to focus really on chapter 6 and on, on his calling. Because I believe there was more going on in Gideon than just him just being scared. I think God brought him to a place, a certain place at a certain time, and was doing a work in Gideon to prepare him for this moment. I think there's a lot more going on under the hood uh, of Gideon than, than we maybe realize. So I'm going to jump down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, most theologians believe this is a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it may be, it may not have been. We know this is definitely a representative of the Lord speaking to him. Uh, I do believe it was Jesus. And I do believe that he believed he was a mighty warrior. So a couple things. Uh, threshing. If you, you probably know, if, if you've been in the, in, in, in the Word very long, when you thresh wheat, you, you, you cut the grain, you, you, you beat it, you beat all, all the chafe off it. There's you got the kernels, the seeds there you want to get to, and you, you, you hit it with sticks and you beat all that chafe and all the casing off of it. You toss the wheat up in the air to let the wind blow the chaff away. And you typically did this up on a hill where you could really catch the breeze, or if there was no hill available, at least out in the open where the wind could really hit it. And he wasn't on a hill, he wasn't out in the open. He was in his wine press, which would have been, if there was a hill, probably at the bottom of the hill. Um, and it, even if there wasn't a hill, it would have been a recessed structure that he could kind of hunker down in and keep a low profile. He's staying low. Why? Because he knows as soon as the Midianites smell food, they're going to ravage him. They're going to come through and they're going to raid him again. So he's trying to keep a low profile. And again, we've always been painted a picture that he was just terrified, quaking in his boots, doesn't know what to do. I think there was more going on in Gideon inside of that. I, th- I think there was an ember burning, like a kernel waiting to pop. And there's a few reasons I think that. One, he was a man. I'm just going to say it. Uh, men don't like being made to feel small, no matter who they are. We all have, to some extent, an, an ego. And men don't like to be made to feel small. We don't like being bullied. It's, it's very discouraging and disheartening. Um, to be made to feel small and, and, and powerless. And I, I believe even God expects a certain amount of fortitude from men as men. In Job, in the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 7, as God's about to rebuke Job, he says, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. But just by the virtue of the fact that Gideon was a man, he, he was angry and frustrated with himself over his country and, and probably feeling pretty small. He was also a good Jew, he, a child of Israel. He was following after God, even if his family wasn't. I wonder how many of us relate to that. Following hard after God, even when our family isn't. That was Gideon's situation. We, he knew God's promises to Israel. And in verses 9 through, through 19 through 21, he makes a sacrifice and builds an altar to the Lord. His family wasn't doing that. Um, we know from later in the chapter, this father had built an altar to Baal and an Ashtoreth. He was the only one really following hard after God. He was frustrated, 
for his people, by his people and for his people. And when, when the next thing he says, when the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, the first thing he says is, why? If, the, if God's with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are we going through all this? Gideon knows this is not the condition that the Israelites should be in. He knows they're the chosen people of God. And even though he's scared, he's frustrated because he knows that this isn't right. And I think all this was brewing. And even though he's scared and even though he's hiding, I think he's down there and he's hating this. He's hating it. Why do I got to hunker down? Why do I got to hide? Why, gotta, why, why do I got to hide my food? I think some of us can relate to that a little bit right now, just being on lockdown. Why can't we just go outside? Why can't we just, you know, go to the grocery store without wearing a mask? And why, why, why can't we just be free to do what we want to do? And there's a lot of different feelings and, and opinions that get tied into that. But we can at least understand the emotion. Why do I have to feel so locked down? This isn't right. And in, in a deeper sense, I wonder if as we look at our lives, even outside of this, this lockdown, this pandemic situation, maybe some of us feel like we're not where we should be spiritually, in our careers, in our marriage, with our families. And maybe it's not even our fault. Maybe it is. Are you where you should be in your life? Do you feel like you're where you should be? And that's not a condemning thing. It's a matter of, have you really opened yourself and availed yourself to do everything that God wants you to do? To be all that God God wants you to be. And if not, why? Is there something holding you back? Is there a, a calling that you've missed? It may not be a call to, 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 to full-time ministry, but maybe a career, maybe a, a side job, some, a career change. You know. I want to encourage you not to allow the chafe in your life to hold you back. Look, look at the imagery for a second. God was about to place Gideon on his threshing floor to beat away the chaff. The chaff is the stuff that, like, like, like the, the chaff around a kernel, the, the chaff is the stuff that gets around our hearts that holds us back from thriving and being fruitful in our lives and ministry. What was Gideon's chaff? Insecurity and family of origin issues. In verse 15, he says, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I am the weakest of the weak, summarizing. I'm the weakest of the weak and the smallest of the small. You're asking the wrong guy. You don't know where I come from. What's your chaff? Is it your parents, your family, your, your neighborhood, your socioeconomic status, your past mistakes, a disability, your gender, your age? God wants to beat away the chaff to get to the kernel of who you are so that you can be fruitful for his kingdom. There was a great little meme that Daystar put out a while back. It said, Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered and killed an Egyptian. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. Lazarus was dead. And they followed up it up with a verse that says, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 We could also add to this list, Timothy thought he was too young, Sarah thought she was too old, Josiah was only eight, and Esther feared because of her ethnicity. None of these were limitations for God. None of them. I know some of us are going to feel like, are you preaching a bunch of self-esteem stuff? Like, doesn't the Bible say that apart from Christ, we can do nothing? Yes. But it also says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It also says he can take a man like Gideon and, and Moses and a woman like Esther and beat away the chaff and remove their limitations and use them in a powerful way. It also says in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love that verse. It's not just God who works in us to, to do stuff. It's him who works in us to want to do stuff. And as we feel stirring in our heart to, to pursue new ministries, to reach out to people and do things we haven't done before, when we feel a burden for something that we didn't feel before, a while back I learned about a, a charity that specializes in, in just giving water to places in the earth that, that, that don't have clean water. Something stirred in my soul and it hasn't left and it's something, it's one of those things that I really plan to get back to and I really believe that was the Lord working. It's one of those things I gotta get back to, just being honest. It's the Lord that works in you. It's him that created you to be a certain way. They have a burden for certain things because he knew where you were gonna go and who you were gonna reach and you'll reach people that I never will. You'll be able to do things that I never will. My children will be able to reach people in a way that I, I, I never could because they're them and, and I'm me and I'm made for a certain purpose and they're made for a certain purpose and you are made for a certain purpose. You were born at a certain time and a certain place for a certain reason by design. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. I love that. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. The, de the deck is stacked. He's prepared these things in advance for you to do. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't feel confident, even when I don't feel like I can preach a message about Gideon, I can because God's called me to do that. Gideon was designed in a certain way, at a certain time, at a certain place, for a specific purpose, even in his weakness. God had been working in Gideon, and this is his moment. And God turns to him in verse 14 and says, Go in the strength that you have. Not just, don't worry, I'll be with you. He said that. I'm going to be with you. Am I not sending you? But he, in, I love how the King James Version says it. Go in this thy might. God knew it was there because God put it there. He didn't question it. Gideon had something. God knew it. God put it there. He believed Gideon because he, he believed in Gideon because he knew what he had created Gideon to do. God believes in us. And there's the theme. We've been going through this, the God is series. And the, 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 the title of this is God is a believer because God's a believer in you. He's a believer in you because he believes in what he's created you to be that you were knit together in your mother's womb, that he knew you before you were born, that he had a plan and a destiny for you, and that you were designed 
for a specific purpose. I love God's response in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. We kind of know what happens from there. I'm going to skip a little bit. He asks for a sign. Uh, well, first he, 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 he makes a sacrifice, which the Lord takes and consumes. Um, and then God asks him to do something pretty pointed. Tear down your father's altars, Gideon. Before you go to battle, you need to tear down your father's altars. There's a powerful message here. So powerful, I, I was hesitant because it gets in our grill a little bit. But it's so liberating and freeing. And there's a message here that I think needs to be said. And I, I, I want to target it specifically at men. In my, again, 35 years or so walking with God, it applies to everybody, but I've seen this be such a, an issue for, for men. You, you looking at me, men? You're not your dad. You're not your dad. And you don't have to be pressured to live up to your dad. And you don't have to feel, for good or ill, like you have to compete with him. I've seen men who try to live to, to live up to dad's successes because dad's a, maybe dad's a self-made businessman or he's highly educated and very successful or whatever. Or maybe it's the other way. Dad was a tough guy. He was a partier. He was a drinker. He was a carouser. And you'll never be as tough as the old man, right? Because you're too soft. Don't buy into that. And the same thing goes for women too. You're not your mom. You're not your parents. You are not your family of origin even though that's where you came from, you're not bound to that. And before Gideon had to go into battle, he had to tear down that altar. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of his height. this height. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Woo, talk about a bold move. And talk about confrontation. We might need to spend a little time thinking about what kind of altars existed in our families. What was your family of origin like? What kind of altars existed there? If we're really honest, most of us really didn't come from an ideal family situation. And certainly no one came from a perfect one. No that God knows this. Know that God still calls you and still has a destiny for your life. Know that he still loves you and wants to use you for his glory. But also know that he wants you to tear down the altars so that you can be truly free to set up reign, his reign in your heart. Before you go into battle, tear down those altars, remove the chaff so that you can step into everything God has for you. So I want to summarize with these four points. Number one, God wants to use you and has designed you for his purpose. Number two, God is with you. Even when it feels like he's not. Even when you feel like you're not qualified. Even when you feel like you come from the least of these, God is with you. Number three, bear, remove the chaff. Tear down the altars. We have 
so many resources these days. We have Emotional Healthy Spirituality. We have OSL. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have Genesis Process. We have books. We have support groups. We have each other to just talk to and, and be there for each other. Remove the chaff. Tear down the altars. And number four, trust in God and what he's called you to do, which is good works prepared in advance for you to do. I hope you find this message encouraging. I'd love to hear any questions you have and have a dialogue about this later. I'd like to pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of Gideon and Moses and Josiah and Timothy and Esther. God, I pray today that we would break off the chaff, that we would tear down the altars, Lord, that we could be free to step in to everything that you want us to be, Lord. We thank you for that promise, even when we don't feel like it, especially when we don't feel qualified, when we don't feel like we can do it, God, may we rely on your presence and your power to be faithful to complete what you've begun in us, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Tom, thank you for that timely word and for a fresh perspective on the life of Gideon. I love how you shared that Gideon had that fire burning on, on the inside of him, that there was something that just was ready to burst forth and how God called him out of hiding and into his destiny. And I believe that's a good word for all of us, that there are things on the inside of us that God has placed there that he wants to call into reality and that the things of the past and the things of the present can't hold us back from what God is calling us to. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you heard this message today and maybe you're watching for the first time and you've, you, you were thinking during the message, well, does God feel that way about me? Maybe you've never had the opportunity to respond to Jesus and say yes to him, to ask him to be your Lord and Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. It's really simple. Uh, I'm going to invite you in just a minute, if that's you, to pray a simple prayer with me and just simply say yes to Jesus, to receive him as your Lord and Savior. He wants to become uh, your friend. He wants to become your Savior. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. And then beyond that, as Tom shared about today, to lead you into the good things that he has for you, into the destiny he has for you. So if that's you, if you would like to say yes to Jesus today, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin and my wrongdoing, and I turn to follow you. I ask you to forgive me and to make me a new creation. I commit to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you made that decision today, we are celebrating with you. In, fi in fact, the Bible says that all of heaven is celebrating with you. And we'd love to know if you said yes to Jesus today. Would you let us know by filling out a connect card by clicking the link above or, or letting us know in the chat section? Or you can send an email to us at prayer at Thrive Glendora and just say, I said yes to Jesus today. And so we're so grateful for that and so excited for you. We'd love to resource you with some uh, tools for your journey, some next steps that you can take as you walk with the Lord. Well, it's been good having you all with us today. 
pray that you have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and an incredible week. I encourage you to pray about who you might be able to invite to service with you next Sunday. We look forward to seeing you then.